Okay, uh, so I'm here today with Tish Bartlett, the Executive Director of the Autism Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania. Uh, Tish, if you could just start by telling us a little bit about autism, how it manifests itself for people who may not be familiar. Mm -hmm. um, autism is a developmental disorder of a neurological origin meaning it will affect often severely someone's ability to communicate and socially interact with others. This um, can manifest at different levels. We have individuals that are profoundly affected with autism that will need a lifetime of support with uh, simple things as daily caring for themselves or those that are very, very high functioning um, we, we've seen them kind of in movies mm -hmm. that are, you know, genius level, but have significant challenges with social interaction with their peers. Mm -hmm. That's what they talk about it being a spectrum, is that right? Yes, it's called yeah. an autism spectrum disorder. Okay. Um, so tell me about your family's experiences. How did you come to be involved with the agency here? And Well... Uh, my family was new to autism in November of 2007. Our little boy, he was born in uh, February of 2004. He did not develop, according to the milestones, uh, significantly delayed. When he was 14 months old, he was evaluated and rated as an eight-month-old. Oh. So we had a lot, of, a lot of fears, a lot of the unknown. Um, our family doctor is the first person that mentioned autism. And I'll be honest, at that time I had a very hard time understanding and, and accepting. Mm. So when he was officially, Garrett, officially diagnosed at three and a half, I dived in to learn everything I possibly could about autism and how we could help our son have the most successful life as, as possible. So we, we did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, uh, I learned, I educated, I read, I attended classes. I was a sponge, whatever I could, could do to help him. At that time, I was actually a firm administrator for a local law firm. Oh, wow. Yep. And I ended up uh, resigning. And I, long story short, I worked from home for them for a little while as it was a little shock when I, mm -hmm. when I resigned. And I threw myself into learning about autism to help my son, kind of a career path change, we mm -hmm. could say. So we discovered the Autism Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania. We were looking for other parents that were in the same situation as us to surround ourselves with a community of understanding. We started attending some of the support groups and to my surprise, a group of our very close friends came together to do a fundraiser for the Autism Society, which just deepened our, our connection. And so August of 2009, we uh, did what we called the Autism Farm Fest. Hmm. Very successful fundraiser. We raised uh, $10,400 for the Autism Society and, you know, not I didn't do this in order for the next path to happen, right. but with that connection, they were looking for somebody to run their office, and they asked me if I would be interested in joining the Autism Society. Um, at that time, the Autism Society had one employee part-time. Uh, she was leaving, 
so I was replacing her. So I've been here 10 years later. Mm -hmm. oh, wow. <laughs> I, I am the executive director full-time, and we have added a part-time office manager volunteer coordinator. So it's really grown and thriving. Yes, we yeah. have we have grown um, tremendously. We've we've added a lot of new programs, activities, supports. I'm I'm proud to say that we've gone to the next level. Mm -hmm. And what kind of um, resources or support do you offer folks here? So first and foremost, the Autism Society is a parent support organization. We're not a provider. We depend 100% on fundraising dollars to meet our mission goals. We do, um, we do our supports through family sensory and social opportunities, which is once a month we go out into the community with our families in a sensory-friendly environment to give our families the opportunity to bond with one another, to build that family structure, and to let them know that they're not alone. Most importantly is to give the individual um, on the autism spectrum the opportunity to experience some of life's fun. Right. Where um, mom and dad, grandma, grandpa might be a little hesitant to try going to an Erie Sea Wolves game. Right. So we work with the Erie Sea Wolves to bring an autism friendly day, sensory friendly, music turned down, everybody feels welcome. There's a sensory break room in case it gets overstimulating. We've done that with multiple uh, venues here. And people in the community have probably seen that Chuck E. Cheese does a sensory friendly morning, mm -hmm. Get Air does sensory-friendly mornings. Uh, the Erie Playhouse offers sensory-friendly plays. So we have worked really hard to raise awareness of the needs of maybe some of our um, community neighbors mm -hmm. that need or want to attend an event, but it's overstimulating. Mm -hmm. So how can we work together to make it so everyone can enjoy the opportunity? Uh, so our monthly outings are twofold. Part of it is educate the community, bring awareness. The other part is give our families a comfortable environment so they can enjoy some of the um, family entertainment that, that other residents participate in. Mm -hmm. uh, besides that, we have a Lego social club. Auto Racers for Kids charity has been very gracious. Uh, they have been sponsoring our Lego social club for five years. We just celebrated our fifth anniversary in February. It is for kindergarten to age 10. It will be increasing, or age 10, pardon me, grade 10, <laughs> <Yeah>. kindergarten <laughs> to grade 10. Um, put my little Lego clubbers in panic. It, we are going to increase that to grade 12. We have some clubbers that aren't ready to leave us yet. They get together once a month, and they think they're coming to be creative and build Legos and, and enjoy them doing a preferred activity when secretly we are teaching them communication skills, mm -hmm. verbal and nonverbal. We're teaching them social skills, those unwritten social skills, how to interact with their peers, patience, whole body listening, taking turns, sharing. That's a big one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sharing minfigs. Uh, so it's really a, an educational component, mm -hmm. but we're doing it during a preferred activity. And so our kids are more open and more relaxed. And it's an amazing opportunity to teach them some of those skills that they're going to need when they transition out of the formal educational setting and into the workforce. Mm -hmm. 
So once they age out of Lego Club, we realized they needed another group to join. So we started the Friends and Pals Teen Club. That is for age 13 to 21, and we have two parts for it. Our first part is the social club. We're a very social society. Unfortunately, many of our, our teens at that age feel really awkward, not sure where they fit in. They're not joining school clubs, school sports, extracurricular activities. So we're giving them a club that is theirs. They're coming to the club once a month. We always start with dinner, working on our interactive, uh, you know, social skills, appropriate behavior. Then we do, sometimes it's fun activities, sometimes it's more educational. Mm -hmm. So in February, we did a meet and greet, get to know each other type icebreaker, uh, learning something about our friends. So we can find connections where, you know, people are like me. This month in March, we are doing electronic communication. So I would say that's more educational. A lot of interactive participation. Uh, we want them to be an active participant, not sit and listen to a, a lecture. Mm -hmm. So they're going to participate and teach us what they know about social media and the Internet, and we're going to, in return, help them to realize what they should and should not post on social media and how they can protect themselves in the electronic world. So we, every month we do that. Our second part of Teen Club happens in the fall. For 12 weeks, we do a transition program. We've been utilizing a, an amazing curriculum, neurodiversity in the work, workforce. Hmm. And it's to help them prepare for adulthood when they are gonna have a job, we hope, when they are gonna have to leave home, when they need to have some more independent skills. So that's, that's kind of our goal, is give them the skills and the wings that they need to soar. And it sounds like a lot of um, making sure that people aren't isolated. I mean, Absolutely. and connected to each other and also to the community. Yes. Um, many of our parents, when their individual, their child, is first diagnosed, they do feel isolated. Um, they feel like they're the only ones. And so we are here as the Autism Society to ensure that they don't have those feelings and that they know they're not alone. Mm -hmm. I mean, the numbers are one in 59 are Is affected. That right? So you're definitely not alone, and we're here to remind them and help them walk the walk with them. And there are ways to, to get out there and enjoy what the community has to offer. And Absolutely. They don't have to feel intimidated. I, I know um, some parents have said to me, what if my child has a meltdown? And I can honestly say, I know what that feels like. Mm -hmm. I was there mm -hmm. and we have a luncheon bowl, 10th annual luncheon bowl coming up in March. And I think for the first four years, my child was under a table crying. So I of all people understand and it's okay. It's right. a judge free zone. Right. Right. And, and then on the good news is he's not under the table anymore. So it does get better. <laughs> good for him. <laughs> Um, so you've been at this a long time, and it sounds like, you know, you've really expanded the options here and, and helped develop resources for families and individuals in the community. In terms of just the broader issue of families and individuals dealing with autism, like what sort of gains have you seen in general 
um, during that time, if you if you look back at what it was like when you first entered this community, in terms of awareness or policies or resources, that sort of thing. Well, I will say, I mean, my my son is fifteen, mm -hmm. and I feel like from a parent's perspective, that there are more resources at your fingertips mm -hmm. than there were even 15 years ago. Uh, for those of our moms and dads with individuals in their 20s, mm -hmm. tons more resources. There's more at your fingertips to reach out to, um, to get you connected with getting a diagnosis, getting services, even specialized uh, school programs. I mean, when my son started school in kindergarten, our school district did not have an autistic support classroom. And now they do. What and, would have happened? I mean, if without uh, that, what were the options? Uh, to send him to another district that did have, oh, a, okay. have a classroom. Mm -hmm. um, I'll be honest, I didn't want to do that. Mm -mm. <laughs> I wanted to keep him in the district. He had mm -hmm. a bigger brother. I wanted him to be in the same district. So my school district did work with me tremendously, and he was, uh, you know, in learning support quite a bit. So... But just from that time, my school district alone has classrooms in the elementary, the middle school, as well as the high school. And we're seeing that with districts across the, across the county, the area here, that even if they do not have a classroom in every uh, school within their district, they have collaborating partnerships with their neighboring districts that maybe one houses the elementary, one houses the middle school, and the other one has the high school. So they're working together in order to support these students. And I, I also feel um, that our educators have done a, a, job, a really good job of learning more about autism mm -hmm. and how to support our families, mm -hmm. how to help them. We at the Autism Society have a grant program we provide grants to local nonprofits and especially school districts to help them fund those items needed that are not in the typical school budget. Mm -hmm. And we have seen uh, recently a lot of sensory room requests or sensory tools to help when, when the student is overloaded, the academic day has just become too much, and they need to have scheduled breaks throughout the day in order for it to be successful. We're seeing that a lot, a lot more. Those grants are coming in, and we've been able to fund, uh, I believe, four districts now oh, is that right? with sensory tools. Mm-hmm. So they're really looking to help the child manage that day and, and, and not simply say, this is too big a problem for us to... Yes, yeah. yes. They're getting in there, they're problem solving. They want the family as well as their student to have a, a successful experience mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day basis as well as overall in the educational path. Mm -hmm. So so that's been, been wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot more uh, businesses we'll call them recreational type businesses that are offering sensory opportunities. Uh, another one is the uh, local children's museum, the Experience Children's Museum. They have a, now it's a sensory friendly evening on Sunday nights. I believe there's four of them every quarter. They're offering a time for individuals that need a quieter setting to come and enjoy the children's museum. 15 years ago, we didn't have even any of this. It. So our community as a whole is doing a wonderful job of stepping up, acknowledging the concerns, 
working uh, with professionals to find out how they can better serve the families and the population on the spectrum. We, we've had several stores, um, Boscoff's and DSW, to name a few, I apologize, I'm probably missing others, that have offered um, sensory-friendly shopping times <laughs> where they'll try to, to work, maybe turn down the music that you can hear in the background, turn off those alarms on the uh, uh, dressing room doors. Mm -hmm. A lot of us don't notice those. Uh, I can tell you my son does. <laughs> and, you know, items like that that the we just... Ding. The ding every time mm -hmm. the door is open. And a lot of times we don't... As you know, a neurotypical or an individual that doesn't have those sensory um, concerns won't even notice some of the noises that our kiddos, you know, that it it takes their whole focus, so they they can't process what they're what they're doing. Maybe focus on what what's at hand. So, very thankful mm -hmm. the evolution that has occurred. Do you think um, it's in part due to just the recognition of? I don't know, people even working at those companies or those institutions you were talking about dealing with it on their own that sort of raises the awareness. It's an advocacy just on the part of groups like yours. Um, I think, I always say, you know, we can't make a change alone. Mm -hmm. That it's our army that's making the change. And, and our army is made up of our parents, our advocates, um, those are cheerleaders and going out either uh, individuals at the company personally experience it through their own walk or through a neighbor or a family a friend as well as our parents coming out and being willing to talk about uh, their challenges when they're you know at a venue or at a store is what is making the change mm -hmm. you know our our voices need to be heard together mm -hmm. and that's what's going to make and make a difference. Um, what are some, if you're looking at sort of the landscape for families and, and, and individuals who are dealing with this, what are, what are the biggest challenges or, or roadblocks that, that remain in terms of just living the fullest life of, you know, making the most of each person's potential and that sort of thing? Well, what I, what I see and from what I hear from, from our families and you know, what I, what I know is available is we're doing a great job in Pennsylvania of supporting individuals age 21 and younger. We've really stepped up early intervention, early detection, early diagnosis, uh, getting those important therapies in place for better outcomes. And there's been, you know, studies that have shown that is better outcomes. But an individual diagnosed with autism at age three will be a 30-year-old with autism. There is, there's no cure. It's a disorder. It's a lifetime disorder. We are not doing a tremendous job after age 21. Um, you've probably heard a lot of our parents talk about it being the cliff, the age 21 cliff. You move from the, um, the children's mental health into the adult world, and there's not enough supports, there's not enough um, assistance in order to help these individuals transition into that independent living. And when I say independent living, it's going to look differently for every individual, just as it does for our neurotypical population. Mm -hmm. um, some may have to go into 
a group home, something with assisted living. Others may be able to live in an apartment of their own with somebody that kind of checks on them. You know, it's, it's very diverse. And as our parents are hitting their senior years, it's scary. <laughs> Who's going to look after their son or daughter when they're no longer around? <laughs> Many of our families do not have neurotypical siblings of their individual with autism that is grown up with them and will be able to take on those uh, responsibilities. A lot of them are only only children or they have multiple children on the spectrum. And so keeping our voices heard, raising that awareness that just because you have a disability or you have autism does not mean you um, should be unemployed. You could be a great, I mean, there's there's studies, there's publications, there's articles that an individual with autism actually could be your best employee. Hmm. They are structured. They're rule followers. They follow a schedule. They're not going to be chit-chatting at the water cooler. So there you <laughs> that go. That might be a good thing. Yep, you're going to get more work done. <laughs> They're going to be on time. Right. So, but on the other side, there's that social development component they, um, you know, might not always say the appropriate things. If somebody is wearing a strong perfume, it upsets them. They may say, that smells bad. That can hurt your coworkers' feelings. So we're working on some of those in our team. Even if it's well, true. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, an uh, example is my son was ready for work. We're walking out the door, and my son looked at me and said, Mom, are you sick? Because you don't look good said oh good <laughs> and that's the way I started my day I was like okay I don't look good today so and they are honest yeah <laughs> they are honest so so on that they are going to be great employees they just might need some extra help understanding the rules of the office or what is expected of them they're going to need maybe a little more detail and what the task includes you know, if you tell an individual, an individual with autism that it's raining cats and dogs, they're going to look outside <laughs> for cats and dogs falling from the sky. <laughs> so a little more black and white, clear-cut instructions can go a long way to have it be a successful relationship. And how do you go about achieving some of those goals or opening up those, uh, you know, opportunities for people? Is it is it advocacy? Is it just trying to raise awareness education reaching out mm-hmm. advocacy education education yeah. letting our uh, companies our our hr you know human yeah. resource mm-hmm. managers educating them about autism mm-hmm. so there isn't a fear factor providing them with the tools that they need because we all know in the workforce you're already tasked with more work than the hours you have and then to have to take on an employee that might need some extra hand-holding can be very overwhelming, Mm -hmm. daunting, and a lot of times just not possible. Mm -hmm. So giving that employer the tools and supports that they need to help transition the new hire Mm -hmm. into the um, daily activities, I I truly believe can go a long way. Mm 
You know, you were, um, go back a minute here. You were talking about all the activities and things that you offer here, and the you know the excursions and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Does this does this area stand out? Maybe if you looked across the country, as far as like what resources are available or supports are available, or yes, yeah. um, we are very blessed in in Erie for the number of uh, supports, adaptive programs. On our website, we have a whole list of resources. Um, we have adaptive baseball. We have equine um, psychotherapy with you know, horse therapy, adapted with spe- uh, special needs cheerleading team, uh, dance. Dance 5 offers a special needs dance program. Gliding Stars is an ice skating program. Mm-hmm. Top Soccer, Penn State offers Tops Basketball and Top Soccer, which mm-hmm. are both for individuals with, with disabilities. Um, Challenger Leagues are little league teams for those with disabilities. And these aren't all specific to autism. They're disabilities across the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just it's a, it's just amazing to mm-hmm, me mm-hmm. how many supports are out there, how mm-hmm. blessed we are. Because unfortunately, as you go farther out into the counties, mm-hmm. Eve right here in Pennsylvania or to the middle of the, the state, they just don't have the resources that we have. So I always say, you know, we might be small, but we are mighty. Mm-hmm. And we're doing a, good, a really good job. Mm-hmm. So now let's pass that on to over 21. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. I want to circle back to a little bit. You were describing your son and in, in even like the dinging in the in the uh, dressing room could mm-hmm. could affect him. Is there some way you can help people understand like what the sensory experience and I know it would be different for every person, mm-hmm. but what are some of the things that they're experiencing differently than the rest of us and what could we be sensitive to in that regard? Some of the the sensory challenges and and they do differ with mm-hmm. with every child could be anywhere from lighting in a room fluorescent lights seem to bother fluorescent lights we typically don't hear but they have a small hum mm-hmm. and an individual that has a sound sensitivity can hear that hum or the air conditioning the heat the furnace shutting on and off the fan clicking on and off can really, hmm. when they're hypersensitive to sound, mm-hmm. that's where their focus is going to be. Mm-hmm. They textures, uh, clothing. Clothing is is a big hmm. item. If they have sensitivity to touch on their on their skin, their clothing uh, could could bother them. Uh, you may see an individual that that wears the same type of t-shirt every single day, or the same. You think the same t-shirt is probably because they own ten of them. Because that's what they're comfortable mm-hmm. in. Anywhere from um, tie shoes to buckles on pants, depending on what that sensitivity could mm-hmm. be. You may see an older child, 15, 16, could be 25-year-old, at a sporting event with headphones on. Yeah. And not your typical yeah. earbuds, mm-hmm. but actual kind you'd wear for hunting. Mm-hmm that are noise canceling in order to censor out some of the sounds. It can be very loud in, in certain, especially at the arena where it's an enclosed place, that that's, those sounds can be overwhelming. The number of people in a room in a specific place can be debilitating hmm. to an individual that has a hard time, what we call reading the room, 
processing mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. knowing if it's a new place and there's a large crowd, what do they do when they enter the room? Where do they go? How do they navigate? That, that can be extremely overwhelming. So you'll see that they want to avoid um, high populated areas, events, maybe you know downtown events that's going to bring a large crowd. They probably would be adverse to attending that. So that's why we do a lot of the sensory-friendly mm-hmm, events. Mm-hmm, we always work with the venue, and we pick a time. We don't have it close to the public because we are not about isolating. Mm-hmm. We're about inclusion. Right. But what we do is we select a time that it's not as crowded as typical. Mm-hmm. So we work with Splash Lagoon. We have a sensory day every November. We pick a Sunday afternoon, 2 o'clock, to offer our sensory day because the typical guests are already checking out their hotels and going back to, you know, their home state, wherever mm-hmm. they're from. Mm-hmm. So it's the perfect time for us to come in. And we're not sensory friendly ourselves because we have over 280 people. So <laughs> <laughs> we bring our own noise. <laughs> but it's okay. They make their own noise. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but that's kind of why we pick certain times when we have our activities in order to... It, it's hard to meet everyone's sensory need right we do the best that we can to do the overall and then our parents they're really good about bringing any kind of i say tools in their toolbox so if they need a weighted blanket or they need a fidget toy or some of them you know have oral stimulation and they need what we call a chewy that they'll bring those tools in order to help their child have a a more enjoyable time I'm not sure quite how to ask this question, too, but do different people have different abilities to express what they're experiencing or what the sensory problem is? Like, Absolutely. Sounds like your son can tell you that... Yes, that he, he can now at 15. Yeah. He could not at 3. Okay. At 3, there was a lot of tantrums, a lot of meltdowns, throwing things, and we didn't realize you know why why this was happening. Now, all these many years later, and all my research and education that I've, I've I've gone through I know is he was trying to communicate that the noise was too loud the sun he didn't like grass he didn't like snow um, uh, shameful he didn't like sunshine <laughs> devastated by that <laughs> I love the sun but uh, different things and so depending on their their verbal abu- ability their communication ability um, an individual that is nonverbal is going to have a very difficult time expressing if the shirt you put on is bothering them mm-hmm. without tugging and pulling and taking it off. Mm-hmm. Um, we have individuals that are verbal for, to a limit, but they know and they'll know something's bothering them, but they can't express this shirt's too scratchy, I need it to come off. Mm-hmm. Because they just know they don't feel right. Mm-hmm but they can't tell you it's the shirt. So we, we work with, um, especially through our, our teen group, mm-hmm. we work with being able to communicate um, how you're feeling, what those feelings are, being able to identify them. And then a really big item that we're working as they get older is how to self-soothe. Mm-hmm. How, when they get overworked, overstimulated because of light, sound, noise, touch, crowd, what can you do to self-soothe and give them kind of their own tools in their toolbox? Mm-hmm. You know, all right, I'm at work. I have to be at this event. 
how can I walk away without it being destructive? Mm -hmm. um, or disruptive, mm -hmm. I should say. Mm -hmm. Disruptive. Mm -hmm. uh, how do I do that? So they, um, they don't disrupt an outing, a party, an event, a classroom on purpose. Mm -hmm. They're doing it because they don't know how to express something that's upsetting them. So we're helping them learn what they can do. And I know, again, it's different for each person, but so once you have a diagnosis, maybe once you're hooked up with programs and activities and that sort of thing, is there an ongoing need for routine sort of medical checkups or, or therapies or things like that? Or, and it, it mm -hmm. probably differs for each person. It but, does. And then when you're into adulthood, mm -hmm. I imagine some of those needs would continue as well. Yes, um, depending on the individual. You know, uh, there is a very high percentage of individuals diagnosed with autism that also have a um, diagnosis of epilepsy. They have a seizure disorder, so of course they would need regular medical um, attention and, and monitoring. The therapies are going to depend on the individual. Um, there's delays across the board, but they're not consistent. Um, my son had a significant need for physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech. Mm -hmm. Not everybody does. My son's speech was delayed significantly. Um, he had nine words as a five-year-old. He's very verbal now, let me tell you. <laughs> um, he also had significant delays with his fine motor skills and his gross motor skills. So he has challenges to this day with writing. His gross motor skills, he was a delayed walker. I think he was uh, two and a half, three before he actually walked, and that was with a lot of therapy and, and work. Uh, my husband was dedicated to having our son walk, so I have to attribute that to him. Mm -hmm. He worked very hard. And so there was a lot of therapies that he needed to help build those muscle tones. With his sensory, um, he told you, grass, sun, different textures, just walking from the carpeted living room to the tiled kitchen paralyzed him. It was like an invisible baby gate. He couldn't cross over that threshold when the flooring changed. So he required significant amount of therapies at a very young age to overcome these, these hurdles, mm -hmm. these challenges in his daily life. At age 15, you wouldn't really, except for he still doesn't like cold and snow, but <laughs> you wouldn't know that he had these challenges. There are other children that are just naturally riding a bike. They crave motion, so they're, they're doing activities such as riding a bike, maybe a, a, a big wheel. They want to go on roller coasters, different things like that. Um, you know, some of them have beautiful handwriting. They've never had that challenge. So it depends on the personal, mm -hmm. personal need, but mm -hmm. they're if they're, you know, if they're health, healthy, you know, physically, then they would not need that, that continuous um, medical. But depending on what their secondary diagnoses are, it would depend on their, on their needs. I mean, by, by all means, they should be, you know, monitored on a regular mm -hmm. basis, ex especially if your child has um, challenges communicating when they're sick, because mm -hmm. you just, you don't know. Um, we had a family that their son had a broken arm. He never oh complained. My. Oh my. They just noticed he stopped using his arm. Hmm. And it turned out it, 
he had broken his arm. So those kind of things is, you know, close relationships with your, with your pediatrician or your family doctors. Mm-hmm. Pretty important to stay on top of anything that may not be communicated that is important to treat. I'm thinking as you talked about that, when your son was very young and parenting is hard enough, mm-hmm. where did you guys find the reserves or the inner strength to, like, dig in and, and handle this, you know? Well, I honestly say um, my husband and I do not have any extended family in the area. Oh my. So, well, we used to, his, his dad was here, but he has since passed away. Um, so, I mean, he's my shoulder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he really, working together and, and learning when one of us had had enough and what we called tagging out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. During the early years, it was pretty rough. I mm-hmm. mean, my my kid was amazing, so don't get me wrong. No, and but, I don't mean to. Yeah, but sort of he, put it on him. Like. <laughs> but he was, and and I, you know, I talk to parents now because I've already walked mm-hmm. the walk that are in those early struggles. Mm-hmm. And my my son was um, was pretty significant with his aggressive behaviors, so having that support of for one another, not not judging each other when you have to say, I need to back away, I need to walk away, I, c- I can't handle this right now, is, is so important for moms and dads. And with that extended families, having aunts and uncles, grandma, grandpa, that can step in and help is, is just vital. Because mm-hmm. it, it, it is physically, mentally exhausting when you have significant behaviors or if they have significant medical needs. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it can wear you right down. I mean, you love your son or daughter and you want to be with them all the time, but you still have to take care of yourself or you're not going to be any good for the rest of your family. I also have to say that my husband and I, we have an older son. He's eight years older than, than Garrett. He was a tremendous asset and he loves his brother and now he's actually going in the field. He's was gonna, that right? He's going to go to medical school to, for psychiatry. Wow. And he's still a, ter- a tremendous help. He always stepped in. Even as a teenager, he would say, I got him. You guys go out. They'd let us, you know, go out for dinner. And mm-hmm. he would he would care for his brother. So, And we have some amazing friends mm-hmm. that now are a part of the Autism Society and, and support the Autism Society. Um, my older son's godparents will step in, and if we needed to go away for the weekend, they would take Garrett, even during those dark days. <laughs> they, would, they, would, they would take him for us, and they would and help us just to give us a break. So surrounding yourself with supportive family and supportive friends is so important mm-hmm. for for the success of the family. Mm-hmm. And and that's, you know, on the other side is when you are not in the nucleus of the family is that's how you can help mm-hmm. your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your, your children, is help them to be um, successful parents by acknowledging that they need a break and being willing to step up and take that opportunity to to be their respite, we'll say. Mm-hmm. It, it just, it, in some ways, it sounds like you're describing, like, you know, a family in a forge, and you come out with, like, real strong, real 
bonds, right? Yes. That maybe people who are coasting along don't ever have those things tested and... and mm. I, I honestly, I've told my, my husband, we've been together for almost 17 years now, and I said to him, after those early years with Garrett, there's nothing that right. can divide this family. Right. I mean, true. It, mm-hmm. I, I feel bad saying that about my son, but it, it was that trying on your parenting skills. And it's so easy to blame the other one to say, well, if you had done this, we wouldn't have this tantrum, mm-hmm. or if you had done that. And that's the first thing you have to not do is you can't blame. Mm-hmm. You can't blame yourself. You can't blame your spouse because that's just going to hurt your family. And kind of to go back on that note, um, I was the self-blamer when my son was first diagnosed. Mm -hmm. I blamed myself. I went back and tried to figure out what did I do when I was pregnant? What was I exposed to? What did I eat? What did I miss? What did I do when when he was an infant? I was determined to figure out what I did. And my husband was amazing in saying that this is no one's fault. Let's just move forward. Right. And so I needed that. Mm-hmm. I needed to hear that from him as being, you know, our son's father. That it, it helped me get out of that and then realize, okay, I'm not doing anybody good with my self-pity. <laughs> Let's move forward and see what we, what we need to do to help him be successful in life. And you not only did that, you help other people do that now. Yeah, I feel <laughs> it, it's funny when, you know, when... Um, our board president at the time, her name's Diane, when she came to me and said, would I be interested in joining the Autism Society? I just looked at her like, oh, I'll, I'll let you know if I know of anybody. And my husband kept telling me, this is where you're meant to be. Yeah. This is where you're meant to be. And 10 years later, I have to believe him. Mm-hmm. It made a huge difference in my life. Mm-hmm. If you asked me 10 years ago if I would be leading a Lego club, a teen club, the Autism Society, I would have said, oh, I'm not going to do that. I couldn't imagine being anywhere else. I was going to ask you that. I mm-hmm. have such a hard time when my kiddos age out. <laughs> They're my kiddos. I just, my, my, my teen club, I mean, I've just gotten so attached to all of them. They're amazing. And to watch them develop and build friendships. I get so excited. I sit at my board meeting and I'm like, oh my gosh, there was a friendship. They they exchanged phone numbers. <laughs> I, I just, it just makes me feel like it's all worth it and that we're helping them, as I keep saying, give them the tools in their toolbox to develop social relationships and to be successful throughout their life, no matter what that looks like for them. Right. Do you have any advice for parents who are just newly in this situation? Uh, first and foremost, if you suspect that your son or daughter uh, might have autism, don't wait. It's okay. Have the evaluation. If it says yes, they have autism, it's okay. Your life might take a different path than you originally planned, which every parent that's had that diagnosis has had those thoughts, so it's okay. But come reach out to the Autism Society. We're here to help you through those beginning years and throughout the lifespan. You won't be alone. And I have met some of my best friends now Mm -hmm. through autism and the Autism Society. 
I, I truly, truly can, can say that wholeheartedly. I mean, I, I didn't eliminate all my other friends, but <laughs> they're still but there. No, I took them with me. <laughs> They've all, now they're all learning about autism, but that is the best thing is reach out. There's people that have walked the walk and they understand it and they can, they can actually make it easier because to let you know what tools are available, what resources get you connected with the therapies that you need, um, the providers in the area, instead of having to do all the research on your own. There's people that have already been through and it can explain the process. And when you're having that bad day and you just think you can't do this, that, you know, why me? There's a mom out there that's been there and can tell you it will get better. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's all about, you know, helping I, your neighbor. We're here to help each other. And on that note, what can folks who aren't directly impacted by this or not part of that community, you know, in an immediate sense, do to support families that are having that as part of their daily life? I mean, Well, there's actually several ways to support. If it's a neighbor, if it's a family member, is be understanding, be patient. When they cancel a lot on those dinner plans, mm-hmm. be understanding, don't, keep, don't quit asking. Mm-hmm. Reach out, ask them if you can help. Offer a helping hand. Maybe even so mom can run to the grocery store by herself, uh, be willing to sit with the child at, at their homes in a comfortable environment for an hour for her. On the other side, as a whole, through the Autism Society, I did say we're 100% fundraising dollars Mm -hmm. to meet all our mission goals is step up. If you can, make a donation. We depend on what we call third-party fundraisers where individuals put on activities, events uh, in their community through their companies, and the Autism Society is the charity. No donation is too small or too large, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that will help us to keep chugging along volunteering we are hundred except for the one and a half that run the office we are a hundred percent dependent on volunteers to meet our mission goals and that's through our teen club lego club our outings um we have an annual conference autism in our community every october we put on and bring in a national speaker we always we never turn away a set of hands. <laughs> we always need help. So, and and as the Autism Society we've talked about has grown over the last 10 years, we are continuing to grow. And with that grow, our, our needs for physical space it, have increased. So we are, um, you know, really dependent on our supporters to help us transition into this next level mm-hmm. of, of the Autism Society we're growing up to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're going into our adulthood, and we're, we're going to need some help, you know, from the community transitioning into that, to that next level. So if you, um, you know, you feel touched, you want to reach out and, and offer your help in any way, we, we would be eternally grateful. Thank you so very much for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs>